Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us to this episode, a little unusual title. Today's episode is How to Argue About Money with Your Spouse. We're continuing in our series of common Christian problems. Now, I have a study that shows what couples tend to argue about most by the number of years they are married, and it has about 10 topics, and most of the things vary. For instance, what is the topic that newlywed couples argue about the most? The answer is money. All right, let's go down. Those who are married a few years, what topic do they argue about most? Money. And those couples who have been married several years, what do they argue about most? Yeah, money. It's the one topic, no matter how long or how brief you've been married, that causes the most arguments in marriage. And today we're going to be talking about how to argue about money with your spouse. And I'm going to be describing, as we go through the broadcast, the prep system of marital communication, PREP being P-R-E-P, and you can Google it. And there's a couple of books that describe the PREP speaker-listener technique. There's several speaker-listener techniques. I happen to appreciate PREP the most because it's validated by about uh, 21 university studies. It's been actually studied uh and financed by uh, at least half of a study done by the Catholic Church in Europe. But the two books for PrEP, one is entitled Fighting for Your Marriage. It's just kind of a secular book on how to use the rules in PrEP communication to deal with marital arguments. And then there's a Christian version of it written by an evangelical called A Lasting Promise, The Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage. And you can find both of these books. Again, A Lasting Promise, The Christian Guide to Fighting for Your Marriage. And marriage differences occur in all marriages. And that's why this is part of a series on common Christian problems. Uh, Some Christians might imagine that, well, that's you know, non-Christians have the problem with arguments and marriage and differences and such. And that's not true, just non-Christians have. Christians have these problems very clearly. And uh, if you've been married longer than probably three or four weeks, you've discovered that, okay? And finances is simply where differences arise the most. So arguments rise the most, trying to deal with these differences. Now, just tell you something, and they may not like to hear this, but since all couples have differences, sometimes a spouse will try one way or another to compel their other half to change so that there can be marital harmony. And unfortunately, a one-sided change isn't usually the way, particularly trying to compel or force or manipulate a spouse to do that. It really doesn't happen. In many instances, 
you are not going to eliminate all these significant differences, but you can have a happy, satisfying, and lasting marriage despite differences so long as you learn how to argue in a proper way about your differences. You might say, nah, that just can't be true. Well, let me just start with this. Words are incredibly important. There's a marriage researcher by the name of John Gottman, and he's written about the four horsemen. And he's referring, the four horsemen comes from the book of Revelation, and you know each horse is bringing a total catastrophe to the world and such. And he writes about the four horsemen in marriage, and it all has to deal with your words. Uh, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, stonewalling. And what Gottman has done is he brings couples in, and he, he knows what triggers are and what, like money is one very quick trigger, and have couples discuss sensitive topics while they're all hooked up to wires and such, and watch literally the changes going on in their bodies and their brains while they argue about this. And he, and he proves that th this is just setting you off to the max because a marital argument can so deeply disturb you that it more or less can color your whole life. So words are important. Um, the nursery rhyme, uh, sticks and stones may hurt my bones, but words will never hurt me, is not true at all. Words do matter. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 36. I don't hear a lot about this verse. In Protestant circles, and I was a Protestant minister, or in Catholic circles. I've been a Catholic for a pretty good while, three decades. Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, men will render account for every careless word they utter. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Every careless word. Ooh, this must be one of Jesus's metaphors. He really isn't just putting it out there, speaking literally. I mean, every careless word, you got to be kidding. I'd be in big trouble. Well, if you are, that's why we have confession. And I'm utterly serious about this. He says, by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. I can't help but mentioning this. But when I was a Protestant, I would go to any degree to defend justification by faith alone, believing that once I had faith in Jesus, I was justified and once and done for all time. Whenever I did that, my fate was sealed for eternity. And yet, verse 37 talks about justification, but it's in the future tense. It says, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. In other words, there is a present aspect to justification, yes, and then there's an ongoing aspect to justification, and there's a future aspect. It's very interesting. I was in one of the largest gatherings of evangelical scholars in the United States, 
and the whole seminar was over the topic of justification, I attended a workshop by a Methodist scholar, and he brought up these two verses in a group. I think I was the only Catholic there, and he was going on like this kind of, uh, how, how does this fit in with justification by faith alone once and done? Well, it obviously doesn't. So just remember, every idle word we will be called to account for on the day of judgment. And so we go to the famous passage in James chapter 3 about the tongue. It's a little member and boast of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. In other words, the tongue used in the wrong way is like a match that can light a forest fire or literally destroy your marriage and your home. It's that serious. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is an unrighteous world among our members, staining the whole body. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. That's why we have circuses and zoos and everything. But no human being can tame the tongue. With it, we bless the Lord and Father. He's talking about Christians here. And with it, we curse men who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, this ought not to be so. What we need to do, if no human being can tame the tongue, we need to turn to God. Have you ever asked God to control your tongue? Or if, you know, sometimes when you're about to say something, I don't know if this happens to you, it happens to me, you know, somehow there's a little warning signal going off, either your conscience or the Holy Spirit, or maybe Matthew 12, 36 and 37, kind of like, no, don't say it, Steve, don't say it. And it was kind of like, there's almost like this uncontrollable urge. You just have to get it out. But it would be hurtful. Uh, even if the person is not present, you just don't go around speaking careless words, hurtful words. And you can pray at that moment, you know, God, give me self-control or make it a regular part of your prayer to be able to control your tongue. This isn't just simply, you know, Jesus, help me with my tongue and go about your business the rest of your life. No, this is something that literally, according to Matthew 12 and Jesus Christ, has eternal consequences. And here it is in marriage. If the tongue is so powerful, when a hurtful statement is made, how do you reel it back in? It's almost impossible to reel back in, and that's why the tongue can be so destructive to a marriage, and I need to add to children as well. You need to be very careful what you say to your children. Now, the whole purpose of prep, that marital communication technique that I spoke of just a few moments ago, its advantage over maybe some other types of marital communication techniques is that it minimizes and counteracts the destructive styles of communication, specifically marital communication. And it's very effective with engaged couples, newly married couples, and couples who have been married for years. And one of the reasons that I am particularly drawn to the PrEP communication program 
is that it's a communication help that's effective for both women and men. Ladies, just hear me for a second. Uh, I want to um, I want to give you just one of the greatest tips that I have discovered and because I've gone to these national seminars and heard all kinds of experts and how to save and preserve and improve and heal marriages. And it's, and it's this when it comes down to prep. Many, if not most, marital communication programs are great for women, and women like them, and men wanting to please and love their wives go along with it, but it's certainly not geared for them. And in the long run, it's a failure because if something is 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 uh, putting you as a man, I'm talking about, into a mold that's not you, uh, it's not going to last. And women and men, they give surveys after you know premarital training and such, and the men rate prep just as high as the women. It's very close, and it's rated very high. And here's one of the reasons. Prep is designed to run by rules and not psychobabble. If you want to see something funny, if you're a wife listening, okay, sit down and watch just just a, a you know, 10 or 15 minutes of football with your husband, okay? And notice how long and how detailed and how specific and how many repeated scenes come up when a receiver is about to catch a ball and we're two feet inside the bounds and the ball in control before he went out of bounds or did he only have one foot in? In other words, it goes on and on about the rules. <laughs> and It's like this is what football is. It's discussing rules. Men are very familiar with rules. Um, when you try to put men into the psychobabble or deep emotional talk, it's like a universe that yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll try to do the best they can to make their wife happy, but it's just not them. What you want is something that will help you love each other and keep loving each other and not destroy your marriage through arguments. Okay, And as a result, you want a marital communication technique that works for both men and women. All right. Now, I'm going to give you two verses, and if you're not driving— Write these down because these two verses from the Bible pretty much say it all as far as what prep is, okay? The first, again, is from the book of James, the epistle of James, chapter 1 and verse 19. Know this, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, if you do those first two things, quick to hear and slow to speak, then you will be and can be slow to anger. If, on the other hand, um, (laughs) you're not a good listener, you always have to interject, there's going to be arguments, okay, out-of-control arguments. That's James 1.19. And if you, again, if you've got something to write with, write that down. The second verse comes from Sirach, chapter 11, and verse 8. It's from the Old Testament. Do not answer 
before you have heard, nor interrupt a speaker in the midst of his words. Do not answer before you have heard, nor interrupt a speaker in the midst of his words. And if you can see and, and hear, James 1.19 and Sirach 11.8 are really parallel verses with each other, coming out of just a little different way. Now, I'm going to give you the prep communication technique and a hop, skip, and a jump, or a one, two, three, or an ABC. Uh, this is just a summary, but you should be able to get prep training. Uh, you might have to go to a place and stay in a hotel and whatever and get the training. It's very worthwhile, um, and you can get it in a day, day and a half, and it will make a fantastic difference regarding marital communication. But the first thing, and I'm summarizing prep, the first step, and James 1.19 and Sirach 11.8. Uh, I'm going to go back and imagine, you don't see too many cowboy and Indian movies uh, anymore, but imagine the uh, Indian War uh, Council and uh, tempers are flaring and whether or not they're going to go to war. And in a war council, the tribes would have what they called a talking stick. And how do you get high tempers under control and don't end up fighting each other when you're trying to decide to go to war and fight an enemy? They had what was called a talking stick. Everybody would get their turn, so there's no need to you know, jostle and interrupt somebody. Uh, and only the person with the talking stick would talk. That's simple. Now, in prep, I'm holding a little refrigerator magnet in my hand, and it's yellow and white little squares. It's to resemble uh, linoleum flooring, <laughs> okay? And the idea is, like in parliamentary procedure, when a person has the floor, that's the equivalent of a Native American holding the talking stick. The person who has the floor is the speaker, and they're not interrupted. There's a rather famous article, and I think it still might be somewhere out there on the internet, entitled, How a Refrigerator Magnet Saved My Marriage. And it had a lot of views when initially put up years ago. Now, it's not necessarily the refrigerator magnet. It's, it's what you do that the refrigerator magnet outlines and you've actually been trained to do. And just so you know, the magnet isn't available unless you undergo prep training. It's kind of like your reminder when things get hot you can use the remote control, you can use this little prep refrigerator magnet, or you can make your own talking stick, and whoever has it speaks, okay? So rule number one, under the first phase of the prep uh, speaking technique, only one person speaks at a time. And that person doesn't try to mind read what the other person is thinking or even repeat what the other person has said. They really want to focus, the speaker does, on his or her own point of view. 
Okay. Now, if you are a little sensitive to to a topic, you might have a tendency to want to really go and make the point dynamic and thinking maybe if the longer it is, the more impact it has. But the second rule under this first step is to keep statements brief. Brief. Brief means one to three sentences will do fine. Don't go on and on. Okay. Now, after you make your statement, again, a brief statement, you pause. Okay. You don't stop. In other words, you're not handing the talking stick to your spouse, the remote control, or the uh, refrigerator magnet. You simply pause. You still have the floor, but you pause. And then at that point, we move to the listener. And this is the second area. So the first person has the floor. That person is a speaker. One person speaks at a time, doesn't mind read, just simply shares his or her point of view in brief statements. Okay, then he or she pauses and then the listener kicks, kicks in. And the listener's job is not to have a great argument and rebuttal. It's not to put down the point or correct the point at all. None of that. And see, so much of marital communication for problems tries to solve the problems. This isn't trying to solve a problem. And yet, if you follow this, you can be happily married and not have the problem solved. I know it sounds perhaps a little counterintuitive. So what the listener does is simply paraphrase what he or she has heard. So he would say something like, well, if I hear you correctly, you said such and such. And the person with the floor, the refrigerator magnet or the remote control or whatever, say, no, it wasn't, that wasn't quite it. And then they restate it again, brief, one to three sentences. And then the listener has another try just to get it. And it's not you know, there's there's no problem with needing two or three t- tries to finally get it. Because if you know you are heard, and being heard doesn't mean screaming and shouting. That is probably the least effective way to be heard. I hope you heard what I just said, pun intended. You want to be sure that the listener has understood what you said, and you want to exercise patience and let the listener have two or three tries. That's absolutely fine. And try to rephrase or restate whatever you said until they get it. And the, the miracle here is that the dynamic inside you, if you are heard, not by volume, but truly heard and understood by your spouse, you know, you might have differences, but you're still a couple and you can still love each other. And so the listener's sole task is to simply listen and understand what your spouse is saying. Now, what, what happens if you are not quick to hear and slow to speak? Well, you'll interrupt, you'll rebut, and you may never even hear what's in the heart and mind of your spouse. 
And as a result, uh, things get real hot. Okay. So first you have the speaker, one person at a time, brief statements, pause to paraphrase. Then the listener kicks in, paraphrase what he or she has heard, taking times, focus on what the speaker is saying, not arguing or rebutting. Okay. And then the third step is you share the floor. Once you've made your chief point of whatever it is you want to communicate and it's heard and understood, then you pass the refrigerator magnet or whatever it is you're, you're doing just to kind of a physical acknowledgement of who is the speaker, okay? Um, again, if you don't try to solve the problem or win an argument, you can have less heated arguments far less growing resentment because if you simply yell at each other or argue with each other or interrupt each other or rebut each other, these resentments have a tendency to grow with time and are very uh, destructive for marriage. You know, respect goes a long way and respect for each other's views communicated will lead to a lasting marriage. That's why the title of the prep book, A Lasting Promise, The Christian Guide for Fighting to Your Marriage, you can have this lasting promise that you made to each other in your wedding vows, and you can have disagreements and fights in marriage, but you fight in such a way that you respect each other and love each other. Now, what are the results of this? I find this fascinating, that couples who have taken PrEP training have one-third the breakup rate as other couples, and they experience significantly higher satisfaction in their marriage. Now, here's the key, and this has been my experience. The sooner you get going on this, the better. The differences with PrEP training without it start showing at 1.5 years to three years, and then the satisfaction in marriage can start going down. And it's very often until a couple's ready to separate, thinking of divorce or just so incredibly unhappy of years of arguing that they come in and, you know, we have some problems with communication. The key is to prevent serious problems at all possible. My experience, most folks wait till it's too late, but hence we're having this broadcast to hope to encourage you during a time where we could be having lots of financial stresses to strengthen your marriage by learning how to argue in a Christian way for the benefit of your marriage. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 313 of Faith and Family Radio. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.